This is The Athletic Hockey Show. What's going on, everybody, and happy holidays. Welcome to another Athletic Hockey Show, a Wednesday roundtable edition, the first one before we all start tipping back the eggnog. I am Rob Pizzo from CBC Sports, joined, as always, by Jesse Granger, who is in Vegas. How are you, Jesse? I'm doing well. And Russo, who is just enjoying the sunshine in, in Anaheim. Uh, you both are just loving the hot weather while I'm sitting here awaiting a massive storm to hit the Toronto area. So so thanks for uh, for rubbing it in, Russo. Yeah, it's a brisk uh, about 58 degrees right now, uh, which, uh, <laughs> you know, this time of year feels about about 95. I always feel bad every time I see Jeremy Rutherford on the West Coast doing a podcast. He always is doing it on his patio or with some palm trees behind him. So I figured I'd do the same thing. Yeah, just, just, just rub it in for all of us. So I uh, appreciate it, but... I hate you at the same time. Uh, lots of stuff to get through. And, uh, you know, we got stuff from last night. We got stuff from the week, as we always do. And I do want to mention uh, a couple of guests that are coming up in segment number two. Uh, it's the Buffalo edition of segment number two. Kevin Adams, the general manager of the Buffalo Sabres, and the beast, Tage Thompson. Um, they're not going to be coming on live. You actually got a chance to chat with them, Russo. Uh, and and we're going to be playing that tape. And uh, it just, 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 I love listening to Kevin Adams talk. He's just such a great interview, isn't he? Yeah, I covered him in Florida, so I've always had a good rapport with him. And um, yeah, it's uh, Sabres fans will like this. We we touch on basically uh, a lot of his playing career, but obviously his managerial style, uh, the future of the Sabres, not skipping processes, and then the perfect timing to do this podcast with Tage Thompson, just absolutely on fire, second star of the week. Um, you know, just uh, second leading goal scorer in the league, third leading point getter, um, has been the second. Uh, leading scorer in the league right behind Connor McDavid since the end of October. So, yeah, I got a chance to catch up with both of them um, the other day, and it'll be a, a fun uh, couple interviews with them. Uh, I did it from inside Mullet Arena, which was a, a treat to finally uh, be in there, and we could talk a little bit more about that later. <laughs> All right, we'll get to those in segment number two. So let's get some of the things that happened last night, guys. It was a busy night, as it usually is. On Tuesday night, streaks were extended, streaks were ending, so let's Start there. Penguins, they snapped the Rangers' uh, uh, winning streak at seven with a 3-2 win, getting a little bit of revenge from that you know, playoff run. It was the first time they uh, they faced them since that playoff series. Um, not only that, I mean, Sidney Crosby, goal and assist, guys. I know we talk a lot about Ovi and the ageless wonder and what he's doing, but are we not talking about Sidney Crosby enough and what he's doing? He's now eight in NHL scoring. He now has 100 points against three different teams, the Rangers, the Islanders, and the Flyers. Only active player to have that. Are we just so used to seeing Sid do what Sid does that we're not impressed that even at you know at this stage of his career, he's still not only a good player, an elite player? Jesse, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think our bar is a little too high. Um, I agree. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think we just are, like you said, I think we're just used to him dominating 42 points already this season. Um, that goal he scored last night was nice. The one, uh, the one Malkin scored, I thought was even better. Um, but yeah, is he's the? I mean, overall best player of this generation, and I think that we, I agree. I think we we have maybe gotten a little too caught up with the Ovi chase and all that, and and we don't give Crosby nearly enough credit. Um, especially, I didn't realize he was that high on the on the NHL leaderboard in terms of points either. Yeah, and uh, you know the other thing is like we talk so much about all the young 
talent in this league, uh, justifiably so. There's just so many great, great players. But these older guys are still performing. I mean, Patrice Bergeron is still, you know, an elite, elite player. Uh, had a huge week as well. Um, you know, we see it at times with Malkin, obviously Ovi. Um, you know, I was watching a game the other day where Kopitar looked like he was still like about, you know, 10 years ago uh, when they were winning cups. I, I just think that um, that sometimes we get caught up, uh, understandably, with all these young, great, great players. And we kind of forget that um, there you still have these future Hall of Famers in the game that continue to, to um, impress. And, and Crosby is that guy. He's a machine every single night. He works the same way. He still has the same talent level. He is keeping himself healthy, and that team, uh, you know, I, I talk to scouts all the time, too, that say don't don't sleep on the Pittsburgh Penguins, that this team is a really, really good team that could be a contender in the Eastern Conference, and a big, big reason for that is obviously Sid. Their power play is just ridiculous right now. 13 for 35. They've scored at least one power play goal in nine straight games, longest streak since 2013. And quickly, you heard me mention that he's got 100 career points against three different teams. Um the NHL record is 15 teams. That's Wayne Gretzky. He has 100 points against 15 different damn teams. Every time I bring up a Gretzky record, it's just, it's a stupid record. But um, yeah, Sidney Crosby's <laughs> still doing it. Penguins don't sleep on him like Russo said. Another streak that got extended, um, the Hurricanes. Their point streak now at 12. They've won six in a row. Longest active streak in the NHL. 10-0-2 in their last 12, and I'm going to start again with you, Jesse, because, you know, you look at Pyotr uh, Kachekov, who I keep always stumbling when I say his name, but we'll just bring it up anyway. Another big game, 37 saves on 38 shots, his point streak at 10 games, and he's just loving life. He's one of those goalies, one of those players just with an ear-to-ear grin every time he's in net. Yeah, he's been phenomenal. I mean, his numbers are through the roof. Uh, the Hurricanes do make it easy on their goalies, so, like, sometimes I feel like, it's like the numbers aren't always telling the story. He's got a 928 save percentage and he's 8.8 goals saved above average. But when I watch the games, he, I mean, the eye test matches the numbers. He's been so good. And this Hurricanes team, they're finally looking like what we, most of us expected them to be in the beginning of the season. I mean, they were my pick to win the Stanley Cup um, at the beginning of the season. And I just loved all the veterans that they added. Paul Stasny down that lineup. Max Pacioretty still obviously hasn't played, but he's he's going to be there eventually. They control territory so well. And I love the Brent Burns edition. I just think that they added the right type of pieces to a team that was already really good. And it, it took some time to get going. They, they weren't great early on, but I think they finally recently started to look like that team that everyone expected and and they're just so balanced like they don't have a a a guy that's scoring every single night Tage Thompson Sidney Crosby but like Martin Natchez Shvechnikov Aho Burns is piling up the points Seth Jarvis like they it's just they've got so many B plus A minus level players on that team you don't really know who to to focus on they're they're a really good hockey team what do you think Michael yeah, well said. Um, uh, first of all, is Freddie Anderson alive? Like, what is the deal here? Like, is he ever going to be able to even play for this team again? Like, I don't, I don't see, I don't see this goalie uh, seizing the net anytime soon. And and um, you know, thank goodness they have him. And he is one as you know, as Jesse just mentioned, he is one affable guy. I mean, I I got to be behind the scenes with him about a month, month and a half ago, just uh, when Carolina was in town in Minnesota, and just watching him kind of learn English. Like uh, right in front of me, they were teaching him what glove dryer meant. 
I mean, it was, you know, it was just <laughs> funny, funny stuff. Um, and, uh, and, you know, him just learning English and he just seems like the happy go lucky guy. You know, who really takes good care of him too is Auntie Ranta. Um, Auntie is one of the nicest, uh, guys in the league. Um, and he's like the perfect mentor for somebody like that. And, uh, I just, I agree with you. I think Carolina is just starting to hit their, their, um, their peak here. And, you know, the, as, as Jesse also alluded to, you know, Max Pacioretty is skating now. Uh, this is going to be a huge pickup for them in a month, month, you know, at some point here in the next little while. Um, and uh, and they got him for free. <laughs> and while doing that uh, in that win last night, 4-1 over the Devils, Devils now lost five straight after that huge start for them. Yeah. Did you see now? Remember, we were talking the other day, Rob, about uh, the, uh, you know, the... Uh, we're sorry, Lindy uh, chants. Now that people are saying maybe they were <laughs> premature. So. <laughs> it's just, uh, you got to so love this fans. This is the streakiest man. team ever. They're just going to yeah. chant whatever's going on at the moment, yeah. right? I'll tell you what, you know, that, that you know that reporter that asked the question to Jack Hughes about being more consistent? He's like, well, we're on a nine-game heater. If heater? she had yeah. any sense of humor, she would go right up to that <laughs> and ask it again. Like, hey, what's the opposite of heater since you made a fool out of me on national TV? What, what is yeah. the opposite of heater? Because you're on one of those now so how do you get more consistent i would take some guts to do that that'd yeah. be pretty great though and that's you know someone will put it back to back and throw it up on twitter and you know you're a star um these next two topics i want to bring up i'm going to be honest when they both happened uh i was very much excited to talk to both of you about it because i really don't know your opinions and i, I want to know um how you feel about both these they both deal with referees too which mm. uh, anyone who listens to this show with any kind of regularity knows i hate shitting on referees i hate I hate doing it, um, but I'm going to in a second uh, or officials, we'll say um, <laughs> Dan Kelly uh, in last night's Leafs lightning game. There was a, you know, a skirmish at the end of the period. Uh, there was a hit on Austin Matthews and, you know, you, your star gets hit. Stuff always happens. And he's trying to send Michael Bunting to the dressing room. And he did it in a. We'll call it aggressive, but I don't even think that's the right word. He was shoving him off the ice and to a point where Bunting almost fell. And if you're good at reading lips, you saw Michael Bunting say, what the fuck was that? Uh, And of course, that clip went bananas online. A lot of people say, what's going on here? And since then, we found out that they actually played against each other in the American Hockey League. Don't know if there's any history there, but when you saw... Dan Kelly shoving Michael Bunting off the ice like that. I immediately texted our producer, Jeff Dometz, like, we're talking about this tomorrow. Uh, what did you think? We'll start with you, Russo. Well, I think it was absolutely unacceptable. And, uh, you know, I know that a lot of uh, fans, especially my critics out there, think that I love shitting on referees. Um, I actually don't. I'm, I'm tight with a lot of these guys. We, uh, you know, we were just talking about the hotel before we came on uh, live here that I'm staying at. I mean, you see all these guys at the same hotel, so you develop relationships with them. Um, just had breakfast with a couple this morning. Um, but it was unacceptable. Uh, you know, if Michael Bunting did that to Dan Kelly, he would not play for the next 10 games. All right, Michael, uh, Dan, it was, I don't know what led up to it that led to the fireworks, but it certainly seemed overly aggressive and um, and completely out of line by, by this linesman. And if Michael Bunting had fallen through that door, that yep. linesman would not work again. It's that simple. And so, um, you know, a, a young guy uh, that, uh, you know, I think sometimes a lot of these young officials, they come into the league and they want to show right away that they're, you know, it's almost like a power trip situation. This is one, whatever happens with this linesman, Stephen Walkham needs to coach him now 
and tell him that what he did was absolutely unacceptable and don't put your hands on a player like that. You have to break up these fights. You have to sometimes get these guys to the door to de-escalate things. And again, I don't know what was said, what led up to it. I just saw the clips. But what I saw was dangerous. This guy almost went right through the door for no reason. He wasn't doing anything other than than talking, uh, you know, that I saw. So it needs to be changed uh, right away with this line. Yeah, I totally agree with all that. I think it's they have a tough job, right? Like they're they're around a bunch of aggression and guys that are bad-mouthing them and being aggressive towards them, obviously not physically, but they like the refs have a tough job, but you just can't do that. And you never see anything like that. Um, I agree with Rob. Like when I, when I, I saw the clip, I wasn't watching the game live, but I saw the clip on Twitter and he didn't just like push him. He grabbed his Jersey and almost like shook him. Um, yeah. that, it was, it was shockingly aggressive. Like uh, this was not a small little like, Push toward the the wall like he it it looked like he was in a scrum with him like players would get in yeah. after someone ran into somebody's goalie. Um, it was yeah it was it was shocking and and like Michael said, if if he had fallen, this would be a huge huge topic. If if Bunting would have fallen backwards when that door opened, um, he like you said he probably wouldn't be refing in this league again. He he got lucky that that didn't happen. Like I said, I have some sympathy. They have a tough job, and. You, you can imagine the abuse these guys go through with the players, the verbal abuse, but you have to, I mean, that's part of the job is, is being able to take that and, and not try to shove the guy through the door. It was, that was very strange. Rob, what, like, what was your initial thought on it? I said, what the fuck am I looking at? I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Like I, I, I've, you, the, between the three of us, we've probably watched 17 billion hockey games. I've never seen anything like that. And I acknowledge yeah. exactly everything what you guys said, especially what Russo said. There's times where they do need to get physical with these players. If if you've got a player trying to jump back into a fight, you've got to hold him back. That's part of their job. I saw nothing that indicated yeah. that Michael Bunting right. was trying to get back in that skirmish. I saw nothing that indicated that physical force was needed. And we're not just talking physical force. That to me felt like a, an official with a power trip. An official with a power trip that said, you can't touch me. I can touch you, but you can't touch me. Almost... You know, when you hear uh, anyone with authority that that abuses it, um, I think I think he definitely Stephen Walken definitely has to, at the very least, reprimand him uh, even in private just to say this is you, you can't do this. This absolutely cannot happen, especially in the age like I said. Now we're at a point where, you know, something like that that went that was it was a close up. <laughs> you know what I mean on 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 the Leaf game, and it went everywhere. Um, I just, I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't even understand. Like, like I said, even if he said something really horrible to him, it still doesn't warrant what we saw. You know, and, and the discipline that a lot of these officials get is always behind closed doors. And I actually think that 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 is not uh, the way to, to operate. I think that it, things need to be public. Um, that's why I always I laughed at when Tim Peel was kicked out of the league and the league you know, put out the press release like they were being these upstanding, you know, this upstanding league. And we're not going to, you know, accept Tim Peel, um, you know, basically saying that uh, that he owed a call. I, c I can't remember exact thing that 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 everything went down, even though I did a podcast with him a year ago. Um, but the reason why that was such a BS fallacy was that he was retiring in a couple of weeks. He only yeah. had like three games left on his docket. It was he was an easy mark for the league to put make an example of. 
you know, pretend like they were firing and even though his career was over anyway in a couple of weeks and put out something to basically say that, hey, we don't let our referees manipulate games here. This is one where, to me, there should be a press release that says this guy is not working for the next, you know, he is not working for the next month, whatever. Um, you know, sometimes uh, because then it leads us to wonder like if all of a sudden we see him doing an NHL game, and I think he is one of the linesmen. I don't know if he's full-time or if he goes up and down, but if he's back working in a day or two, that to me does not say what they did to this kid. And I, I just think that, I'm not saying that he should lose his job or anything like that, but this is an opportunity to coach him up, but also for Stephen Walcom to say publicly, like, hey, this was a mistake by the kid. Um, we think he's this rising star, whatever. is. There, there's a reason why he is one of the top officials in the in the world that's actually now going to have a chance to work in this league full time. So this is an opportunity to coach them. But I think that that needs to be a public sentiment here to, to for fans to have a, um, a confidence that these guys are actually when they mess up are being dealt with. And hats off to bunting for handling that the best yes. that he could. Uh, you 100%. talked to Jesse about like testosterone's through the roof. Um, you know, he's probably jacked up and, and he, he sees us, you know, their best player get hit. And this referee, or excuse me, linesman, shoving you like that. It would have been easy just to give another little shove back. Uh, right. So he handled it. He handled it really well. Topic number two. We talked a lot about Kale McCarr on this show. We all are big Kale McCarr fans. Uh, and he made news this week on a play that I don't know if we're all going to be in agreement on this one. Um, goes behind the net, getting chased by Matthew Barzell, who gives him a little whack. He does make contact with him. And... Makar blows a tire, which we don't ordinarily see. Uh, referee raises his hand immediately. Penalties coming. And Makar gets up signals right away. No, no, no. That was me. I blew a tire. Talks to the referee and gets the penalty. De- they decline the penalty, essentially. They rescinded. Uh, everyone kind of jumped. Oh, what a nice guy. You know, Lady Bing, this and that. Your thoughts, if you were a teammate, if you were a coach of Kale McCarr and he said, no, 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 we're good in this tie game to not have a power play. What would you do, Jesse? Yeah, probably not too happy. Um, it, <laughs> it reminded me of uh, this isn't the first time I've seen this. Ovechkin did it in Vegas a couple years ago. Um, he he like gave the like throat like wave yeah. like, no, 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 that it's good uh, to to. And, and it was the same uh, situation. The referee like. Rescinded. Okay, never mind. Yeah. No penalty. Um, <laughs> but but back to your question. Yeah, if I'm if I'm on the Avs power play and I'm getting ready to go out there and try to get me a power play goal, um, I'm pretty pissed off that he that he waved that off. They they make tons of bad calls every game. Um, they're going to make a bad call on us. Like in the next twenty That's minutes, it. there's a pretty good chance. That's it. <laughs> Why would we wave away the one bad call? Like I like if you're going to do that, then every team needs to do it, and then half the penalties won't actually happen. Um, so I think it's I think it's a case of like this isn't something that gets reviewed and we make sure that it's right. Like they make wrong calls all the time. There every single hockey game, there's a call that if you were asked the players and the coaches after and they were honest, they'd be like, yeah, that was a terrible call. So I think you just kind of take the ones that you're given and you p- kind of deal with the ones that you aren't. It's, it's hockey. It's a fast sport. Things calls are going to be wrong. Um <laughs> giving up one of the few, the the bad calls that goes your way seems not smart. <laughs> what do you think, Michael? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I thought it was a cool moment. Uh, when I vote for the Lady Bing at the end of the year, it's something that'll be definitely in my head. Um, you know, luckily for the uh, Avs, they wound up winning the game anyway in a shootout. 
Um, and obviously, uh, the Islanders get a point there, but it doesn't affect the Avs because it's a different conference. And they're starting to heat up, by the way. They've won four of their last five with a ton of injuries. Um, but in terms of back to this subject, um, it, it's something that I've never seen before. In fact, a couple games, a couple days before that, I covered the Wild, played Detroit. Um, Jake Middleton was called for a tripping penalty uh, by Chris Rooney, and it was a total phantom call. The uh, Detroit player jumped over Middleton, um, who was sliding toward him, and just fell. And... Uh, Trust me, Detroit took that power play. <laughs> he didn't. The guy didn't get up and say, "No, no, no, no." I, I, I I'm the one that caused myself uh, falling there. Um, but uh, it was an interesting story because uh, because you know uh, I was just reading Peter Baugh's story about it, and and Kale said he regretted it that he actually and you could see the video when he got back to the bench and him looking back at Bednar. Uh, you know, you could tell that he felt bad and there was probably like a lot of confusion on the bench. Like, what did you just do? Um, the fans certainly didn't like it because uh, obviously they didn't know the context at the time. But when the referee, who to his credit, didn't announce that, by the way, Kale McCarr told me that he just fell. Uh, he just said, uh, we're overturned. He said, we're overturning the call. There's no penalty on the play. We're pulling. We're picking up the flag. And essentially, uh, the fans at the ball center, ball arena, just absolutely scorched the refs. Um, but again, they didn't know the context. So it made for an interesting moment. I'm sure Kale will probably not do it again. Um, but I have I don't I don't blame him. It's heat of the moment. I, I admire it. Um, but the irony of this one is that it wasn't a phantom call. He actually did, you know, as he was circling the net, lean into him, which is what caused him to fall and blow the tire. But either way, um, I respect it. But I'm sure uh, Kale learned a, a lesson there um, to not do it again. But I admire it. I think it's a cool thing. I think it says a lot about his character and integrity. Most impressive thing that happened in that game, by the way. We're not even going to bring up the double shutout. Come on, Rob. Double <laughs> shutout. Both goalies got Just a shutout in that game. One Ilya time. Sorokin, don't don't pump the tires of every goalie in the league. Just one double, episode. When's, when's the last time we saw a double shutout? It was great. <laughs> Come on. I, like, I, I, we were watching in the press box, and of course, everyone's coming up to me. They're like, do they both get shutouts? And I'm like, I'm like 99% yeah, sure of course that's they the do. case. Yeah. Yep. yeah so double I, uh, shutout. Yeah, I remember I covered a 0-0 tie. I've covered a couple of them, but one of my favorite 0-0 tie stories was in the year 2000. It was Roberto Longo's first year with the Florida Panthers. They're like seven, eight games into the season. They're winless. We go to Minnesota, coincidentally where I work now, and they have a 0-0 tie, Jamie McLennan versus Roberto Luongo. And we go in the locker room after the game, and Roberto Luongo had the greatest quote of all time. He goes, he goes I never in, ever imagined in my wildest dreams that I would get my first shutout before my first win with the Panthers. And it was just <laughs> like, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, you're right. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, 0-0 shutout. I knew you'd like that, Jesse. Love it. Yep. Um, for the record, if one of my teammates did this in beer league, I'd be pissed off. <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to say it. I'd be like, dude, that ref puts his hand up. You say, PP1, get on the ice. Not that we have power play lines in men's league. It's whoever's <laughs> next. Um, he said, like, but you like, know, it's good said, karma. Good karma. I, and I bet you that I bet you he's going to win a lot of points with the refs, too. Sure. If it's 6-1 in the third period, I can buy it more. <laughs> it was yeah. a tie game. You don't yeah. do that, but... I mean, I can't believe I'm getting angry at someone for being a super nice guy. It's just, I, I can't, I could see his teammates yeah. saying to the to, to press, oh yeah, he's a great guy. That's the guy he is. Shut the door going, Kale, don't ever. Yeah. <laughs> don't ever the most confused again. guy in the, in the arena, by the way, was on that Islanders bench. They showed Matthew Barzell and he was like, you could see him. He was talking to his teammates, telling him what happened with this like astonished look on his face. So. <laughs> 
All right, a couple more things, guys, before we get to break and uh, some of those interviews. Uh, we're hearing uh, talk that the league is possibly looking at an 84-game season yet again as a way to offer uh, more division rival games. Um, you know, they want teams that hate each other, the Battle of Albertos and such, uh, to get more games against each other for or against. Jesse, I saw you shake your head as soon as I said it. Yeah, I have mixed emotions because it's like part of me says – Sure, more hockey. Like I like I don't want less hockey. Um, I definitely will take all the hockey I can get, but at the same time, I feel like eighty two is already enough a lot. in terms of like yeah, like we're like we're every game you add, you're minimizing the importance of each regular season game. And like you, you look at a sport like football that only has sixteen and how important every single game is, and I think that's a big part of why it's so popular. Um, and then you look at baseball and where you can start the season zero and 30 and you're like perfectly fine like we're in great shape we'll still be okay <laughs> um hockey's kind of in the middle of that i don't necessarily think that going from 82 to 84 really changes it that bad but it just it's strange if this, if they were going to change the number of games in the regular season i would expect it to go the other way yeah um i think it's a little weird i mean to me the biggest the bigger problem and the overarching problem here is the schedule matrix as a whole i think it's a little messed up if you want more games just play the east once and then and then divvy up the rest in your or again if you're in the if you're listening to this and you're a fan of the east play the west ones um and then and then divvy up the the rest you know to me that that leaves you 82 minus 16 to just play inside division inside your conference and things like that to add two more games just to make to get four games each inside your division where just because you have playing two others only what is it three times i don't know how that's creating a bunch of different drama and and uh and hate and things like that by just adding essentially a fourth game for two other teams um you know to me it makes very little sense first of all i think the league and the pa are going to have to get on the same page with this to see if the pa would even entertain something like this knowing the players are going on a little extra bucks for this uh to accept this um which i'm not is not a slight on the players by the way um but to me if you want to if 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 you want to get more rivalries, if you want these teams to play more against each other, then just go back to the way it used to be where, you know, you're playing 16 games against the other conference and then just the rest inside your conference and that'll that'll create it. But just adding two more games to allow now every team in the division to play each other a, a equal amount of times, to me, that that what's that really achieved? So um, I, I just find it interesting. I could see the PA saying, Let, let's shorten the other side too. You know, the one thing I keep yeah. seeing is, Less preseason, shorter training camp. Maybe we'll talk about it. But like like Jesse said, 84 games. And then, oh, by the way, to win the cup, you need to win four rounds. That's a lot of hockey. Right. And in terms of playing the same teams like more, maybe I'm just wrong. I thought that season where they had to play the same teams every game, uh, the the COVID season where they were playing with their – that was the worst regular season in the history of the NHL. Like yeah. It was horrible watching yeah. them play the same teams over and over again. And um, I don't think anybody wants that. And by the way, if, if you have the conferences, that would what, 16 games, that would allow you to play your, the other division in your conference three times and everybody in your division six times, if I'm doing the math that's right. too many. And, and to me, that, that's a better, that's a, you're achieving what they're trying to do with this 84 game. So again, I, that's what I'm just so confused about is to add two games to just allow you to play everybody in your division four times rather than two teams in your division three times. I just don't see the purpose of it. 
Um, again, I could be doing the math, but I, the one thing I know I'm not doing the math wrong on is if you have the games, you could play three in the other conference and six inside your division. And that achieves what it seems like the league is trying to achieve here and what the GMs want. So um, I just find adding two more games doesn't really do anything. But what they're also trying to achieve is something they look at in only the best case scenario, the Battle of Alberta's of the world, right? right. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a rival or if you have two teams that are, are rebuilding or whatever reason, now you've got essentially more games that are, for lack of a better term, boring. You know what I mean? So right. I, you can't always look at the, the high end and go, we need more of that because if you're going to get more of that, you're going to get more of the shit as well. Um, yeah. By the way, I, I went to the Arizona and uh, Montreal game the other day. If those teams only played one time a year as opposed to two, I don't think anybody would complain. Exactly. <laughs> um, last thing before we go to break, guys, John Tortorella up to his old tricks, uh, made Kevin Hayes the leading scorer on the team, by the way, a healthy scratch in Saturday, 6-3 loss to the Rangers. Uh, quick quote from Hayes, I wasn't happy, but it's not my decision. I'm never going to say there's a benefit of being benched. I don't think I should have been benched, but it's not my decision. He's the coach. I'm the player. He makes the lineup. Uh, when Torts was asked about it, he did the old, I don't want to talk about that, guys. But then also said, we have a standard here and everyone needs to live up to the standard. I think I, I've talked to you guys about what I think when Torts does this stuff. It just it doesn't feel like a message to me. It just feels like Torts. What did you guys think when you saw this? Russo? Um, I, I just, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I just thought. It was just Torts being Torts. Um, now, to be fair. Um, I don't watch the Philadelphia Flyers. We don't need Flyers. to be fair. Yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't watch, like he didn't do it for no reason, right? Um, I don't watch the Philadelphia Flyers every single night, so I don't know what led up to this. I don't know how he's playing away from the puck, all that stuff. I hear, you know, reading readings uh, a lot that he's scoring goals, but there has been deficiencies in his game. I don't think he just does it to do it. Um, you know, this is towards, I mean, you know, there are certain coaches in the history of time that try to, that just don't pick on the fourth liners. They, they, they will go straight on after the, the leading top guys of, of the game. The Mike Keenan was the way that, that way. Um, you know, obviously Torts has long been that way as well. Um, I mean, didn't the Flyers also have somebody that just recently quit? Like just literally the other day, just said, I'm done playing hockey. Like a- he played, who's the guy he played for towards in Columbus. And then the other guys, it's like, I'm out of here. Um, so, I mean, there's just, uh, you know, you know, that's just the way that the, that the guy is. Uh, but, and I don't expect J- Kevin Hayes to say anything different. He, you know, th- he's a prideful guy. Um, and I'm sure that he was not happy being scratched. So to, to Russo's point about, um, we don't watch the flyers every day, thankfully. Um, cause they play, I, I watched them play the golden Knights the other night and it's like, they're trying to take the hockey out of hockey. Um, they they want this hockey game to have as little of hockey as they possibly can. It's absolutely terrible to watch. So thankfully, we don't have to. But I like when when I am trying to see if a player, like you said, away from the puck, what's he doing? I go to evolving hockey. I go to their goals above replacement, and then they split it between offense and defense. And it's not perfect. It's not a perfect metric, but for the most part, if a player is on the one high end of the spectrum or one low end of the spectrum, they're either really good defensively or they're really bad. And Kevin Hayes is the third worst player on the team in terms of defense. He's minus 3.3 goals above replacement defensively. Um, he's he's four point eight goals above replacement offensively. So he's he's one of their better offensive players, but his defense is almost so bad that it completely wipes out all of the points that he's racking up. So yes, there is a reason that he's doing this. He's probably a liability in his own end. But at the same time, 
It's just Torts being Torts. And they are 4-12-5 and five in their last 21 games, so it seems to be going well. Yeah, I mean, this wouldn't happen on a team that's winning, obviously. I don't think you're pulling your leading scorer out. Right. Um, but look, uh, you know, sometimes you have to get guys' attention. Bruce Boudreaux did it with Kevin Fiala here in Minnesota, uh, you know, for a while. I mean, it just, you know, uh, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about how Bruce Boudreaux came very close to scratching Brock Besser. Um, you know, I, again, Torts is not doing it just for absolutely no reason. And by the way, the player I was referring to is Lucas Sedler. Um, and again, I'm just hearing, you know, I know that he said he went back for personal reasons, but, uh, but uh, you know, if you read the quotes and read between the lines, he's just not uh, loving uh, playing hockey right now. And everything that I've heard behind the scenes was this was him just saying, I can't, I can't be coached anymore by, by this guy. John Tortorella <laughs> has killed his will to play hockey. Yeah. Wow. Jesus. He took the hockey out of hockey and he's killing people's will to play hockey. That is John Tortorella in a nutshell. Uh, after the break, we're going to hear from Tage Thompson and the general manager of the Buffalo Sabres, Kevin Adams. So don't go anywhere. All right, guys, we've talked a lot about Tage Thompson. I said last week we use the term beast too often, but I think it's very appropriate <laughs> to use it with Tage Thompson. And you caught up with him, eh, Russo? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, and it really shout out to Nicole, uh, the PR person for the Buffalo Sabres, just so incredible to deal with uh, to help set up these interviews with Tage and and uh, and Kevin Adams and Tage. Uh, we did it in a stairwell at Mullet Arena. There's not too many. Let's put it this way: we will all learn when we go to Mullet Arena. There's not exactly many auxiliary rooms and places that you could just sit down and do podcasts. So uh, we did it uh, about you know for six or seven minutes before he was heading out to the bus. He's absolutely on fire. Second. Uh, second uh, star of the week and we talk a lot about his upbringing um, you know his dad his mom there he's from Arizona he had a ton of family at the game that night and he wound up having a, just a monster game as well scoring the winning goal in the third period uh, a few hours after this podcast well really happy to be joined by uh, Tage Thompson and what a year you were having Tage uh, coming into tonight's game here in Arizona second in the NHL with 24 goals after a 38 goal breakout season last year and you get the big extension as well and you know first of all welcome back to your home playing this well I mean this is this is where you live in the off season where you were born yeah thank you I uh, appreciate it it's, uh, it's always nice coming home and uh, seeing the family and um, being able to play in front of them is always cool yeah what you, so your mom is from here you're yep. obviously born here when your dad was playing with the coyotes uh, what, what what is it like to kind of come back to this building knowing you're gonna have so many people here tonight and and as well as you've been playing yeah, it's a great feeling. I mean, you don't get to see him too often, especially, uh, you know, during the season. Um, so it's really only the time you can visit and hang out with them is, you know, the, the one time you do come out west and in, in the summer. So um, don't get to see him a whole lot. So it is nice to, uh, you know, be able to play in front of them and um, see him after the game. What, um, you, you know, you come into this year, you have the big season last year. Was there any nerves coming into this year? Like, can I do it again? Or, or are you starting to feel like, hey, this is this is me now? No, I, I don't. I mean, there's obviously a little pressure. You know, you sign the contract and you want to you want to live up to it. You want to make sure you're you're doing what you can to uh, help the team. And um, there is that little bit of pressure. But I think uh, that's something that drives me. And um, that's something that probably helps my game uh, more than anything else. So, um, you know, it's just something that uh, that pushes you and, and drives you to be better. Uh, just talking to a bunch of your teammates, I mean, Kyle Posa says the greatest thing about you is that you've earned it. You know, it was not an easy road for you to get here. Is there a pride in that? Yeah, it's definitely a good feeling, um, you know, just having the, you know, the hard work uh, start to pay off. It's a, it's a good feeling because it has been. It's been a, a tough road and a um, tough journey and a lot of things you had to 
you know, grind through. So uh, to get to this point now is a uh, sp- pretty special. What it was your father's impact? I mean, I, I covered your dad. I told you in Florida, he was as tough a player as there was um, at every level he's ever played at. And uh, and I mean, what did that what did that do for your game for you growing up and his impact? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, obviously he's got a ton of passion for the game, and um, you know he still coaches. So um, just a, a really good hockey mind knows the game really well. And um, I think for me and my brother both growing up, just to be able to have that mm-hmm. is something that's such a, a big advantage that not a lot of other kids had. And, um, you know, just to have him be able to watch our games and give us little insight and tips, uh, uh, you know, what he sees maybe from an outside perspective um, has always been good for us. Um, you know, whether or not we wanted to hear it, uh-huh. um, it, it's definitely benefited us. I remember when I covered him, he had just been a black ace actually, and uh, with the LA Kings uh, when they went at all, and he was really he was pals with Gretzky and all that stuff. I mean, do you have any memories of uh, Gretzky at all, and and just their friendship still? I mean, I've heard stories and and stuff like that. It's obviously really cool and really special to be able to say you played with uh, the greatest hockey player to ever play. So, um, you know, it's cool. I hear a lot of stories and it's just something, you know, from a young age, hearing those stories and, you know, going to the rink and Mm -hmm. hanging out with some of the guys, um, you know, when my brother and I were, you know, four or five years old is just something that that gave us such a a love for the game. And, um, you know, it was really cool to to share that bond with him. 11 cities you grew up in, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then what was the longest you were at? Was it, it was Alaska? Was it? Yeah, I, I think um, on Illinois actually was probably the longest. We were there for four years um, in Illinois. That's, uh, he coached the Riverman uh, there. And um, four years is probably the longest we've been put in one place um, until he got out in, in Connecticut. And he's been with the Sound Tigers for, I don't know, maybe nine or 10 years yeah. now. So I guess that's now the longest. But um since we've moved out to Connecticut, my brother and I have kind of gotten older and moved away from home. So um, I don't really consider Connecticut a, a home uh, home base or where we grew up. So I'd say probably Illinois is the, the longest that my mm-hmm. brother, our whole family has been put in one place. Right. And yeah. Alaska, he, he won it all there, right? Yeah. So, yeah, they won the Kelly Cup up there. Yeah. And uh, that was cool. That was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Alaska It's a great spot for for our whole family, and my brother and I had a a ton of fun up there. What did you think of the daylight? You probably came out of games, and it was still light out, right? No, the opposite. It was uh, the winters is always pitch black, so it's a little little different getting used to that. Um, You know, the sun only comes up for a couple hours during the winter, but in the the summertime, it never goes down. So it's a great summer spot to to be at. And for us, too, it was awesome for the winter. Everyone's got outdoor rinks, and, um, you know, hockey was our life there. So, yeah. it was hockey everywhere, which was great. Uh, last couple for you. Uh, uh, it, like, it's just unbelievable watching you this year. I mean, you do feel like you look like a, ma- a man amongst boys, but you guys went through that tough, tough stretch here recently. But you seems to be slowly getting your game back together, guys getting healthy, uh, things like that. Do you feel like things are now back on the rise with the Sabres? Yeah. For, I mean, I think obviously that stretch is tough, right? You don't want to lose eight in a row um but through that stretch i think there there were some games where we we played really good hockey and i think you can't lose sight of that uh, obviously the role, results aren't what you want but throughout that that journey there it, you learn things along the way and um you pick up pick up pieces uh you know from certain games that you can take with you and um i think you look at colorado last night right mm-hmm. like we we get a lead early there and we're able to hold on <laughs> and finish it out and get the win and um that's something that we haven't been able to do in the past and i think that that was a big testament, uh, that game yesterday, um, just learning how to hold on to, to leads and close out games. And I think that's something we're going to continue to, to grow and get better at. And just lastly, you got to, I know you got to catch the bus here, uh, but, uh, Don Granado's impact and just the future of this team, because, uh, you know, I was just talking to Tyson Jost and he said that the room is unbelievable. Yeah. The room is awesome. I mean, we, we got 
some of the best guys. Um, you know, it's, it's a fun, fun atmosphere. Um, you have fun every day you come to the rink. There's, there's never a dull moment. So it's been great. And, um, you know, Donnie's been awesome for, for everyone, not just me. Um, you know, he's, he's so good with the young guys and just the, the style of game he, uh, he wants us to play is, is, you know, it's exciting hockey, you know, fast paced, uh, a lot of offense. And, um, the great thing about it is if, if you make a mistake, he's not going to be, he's not going to be grilling you. He lets you know that that can't happen again, but he gives you an opportunity to get back out there and, you know, make up for that mistake and, um, just play. I think that's the biggest thing for us is we have a lot of young guys with a lot of talent. And, um, he just makes it pretty simple, you know, mm -hmm. doesn't overcomplicate things and just lets us go play and have fun and, um, let the skill take over. So as long as we're working, I think that's all he really, really cares about. Yeah. Well, Tej, you have many things. It's been an absolute blast watching you this year, last year. My, my favorite goal still, by the way, is the one that where you broke your stick last year. And oh yeah. So you're going to the bench. You didn't even one. see it. I don't think that'll ever happen again. That was uh, <laughs> that was a bizarre one for sure. Yeah. Um, hit the end boards and yeah. came back at the goalie. Yeah, that was crazy. Yep. So, Hey, thanks Tej. Yeah. I appreciate it. And good luck tonight. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. Tage Thompson, second star of the week, and a guy who's just terrorizing goalies all over the league, which makes everybody except for Jesse uh, extremely happy. Uh, and I guarantee you, you're going to hear his name again. Uh, Kevin Adams, general manager of the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, I gave this a listen before the show, Russo, and I don't want to give anything away so people listen, but I really like when he talked about the culture of the Buffalo Sabres because you could put the best coach and the best team and the best everything on the ice. Unless a culture uh, improves, It's it, your team is not going to improve. Yeah, and the, right now they have guys that want to be there, right? And they've got some other big contracts that they're going to have to work on. Uh, you know, Darlene's not long from needing to be extended, Dylan Cousins. Um, and we talked about a lot about Tage Thompson, right? Seven years, $50 million, deal, uh, $50 million signed in August. I think a lot of people wondered, hey, was that a one-hit wonder last year when he scored 38 goals? He's definitely not crumbling under the pressure, that's for sure. We talk a lot about Kevin Adams' uh, playing career, uh, winning a Stanley Cup with the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, the Florida Panthers were the gift that kept on giving the Carolina Hurricanes for their puck run. They gave him Matt Cullen, gave him Brett Hedekin, gave him uh, Kevin Adams. And uh, just a really fun sit-down to talk about a lot of these great players that the Buffalo Sabres have. By the way, Darlene, that game was as good as I've ever seen him play. He is so, so good. But we sat down right before the game in the GM's booth at Mullet Arena. Well, welcome uh, to Kevin Adams, the uh, three-year, third-year uh, GM of the Kevin of the uh, Buffalo Sabers, and uh, played a long, long time in the National Hockey League, uh, including with the Florida Panthers, uh, where I got to know you and cover you many years ago, uh, Kevin. But it's still, to me, one of the best trades that Jim Rutherford ever made. Uh, you know, three, four years before you win a Stanley Cup in Carolina, uh, he acquires Brett Hedekin and Kevin Adams in a deal. For Sandus Oslinch, and you guys won a cup out of it. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's funny you bring that up. I was just at the Board of Governors meetings, and uh, Chuck Fletcher and I were uh, were talking about when I was in Florida and talking about that trade. And uh, you know what? It was one of those things where, um, you know, Mike Keenan had come in, and <laughs> I think I became a little bit of the whipping boy there for uh, Mike, and then um, it just ended up working out. But for me personally, I ended up playing in the Stanley Cup that year. We ended up losing to Detroit. Four years later, won the Cup and spent whatever it was, six years in Carolina. It's a big part of my career, so that uh, certainly worked out. Yeah, uh, I think Mike Keenan was the gift that kept on giving the Carolina Hurricanes because Matt Cullen, who was also in the doghouse in Florida under Mike Keenan, remember he was on the doghouse line with Christian Uselius and Val Bure. Remember it well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and he, he was another huge part of our uh, of our team there in Carolina yeah. Cup team. And you you played, I mean, the thing I remember because I covered that series is you played with a broken wrist and uh, um, had a huge, I mean, a huge series, huge game seven. 
Um, it it just it felt like uh, you know you, do, you were going to do anything to stay in that lineup. Yeah, it was. You know what? It was such a special year. Like obviously, anybody who wins the Stanley Cup and would say, but from start to finish, it was one of those teams that uh, we had a really good bond. We had a we had a team that we knew we were really good, but nobody else did. It was mm-hmm. one of those kind of things. And then as the year went on, I think people started realizing like, whoa, this team's this team's pretty talented. And Eric Stahl is. 20 years old and all of a sudden you know he's got 100 points and you have cam ward and we just kind of had one of those teams that you could feel and i was fortunate enough to have an important role on the team and uh yeah i mean you know you don't those don't come along very often as a player so no matter what i was going to try to do what i could to help that team win. ray whitney was on that team ray too whitney right was and, there, you, yeah. and the you were acquired for, for ray whitney so i mean look it's the, the dots connected See, it's crazy yeah and i'll tell you if really quick ray whitney story is funny and if you know you know him well so you know how funny he is but uh start a <laughs> training camp uh he he stood up in front of the team and said hey i just want to make sure everybody knows that Kevin Adams and I, it wasn't a real hockey trade. It was more of a money dump. You know, it wasn't like a one for one type thing. And it was, it was pretty good. So yeah. anyone who knows Witt knows his sense of humor. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was the year where they got rid of uh, so much money in Florida. It was, yeah. it was, it was, a lot uh, was changing there at yeah, that time. Uh, definitely. It was an interesting time. Uh, the other thing that people don't, I don't think know about you is you were a poet. Yeah. Tell the story, because I learned this today. Okay. Uh, and and I don't know if this has ever been told, because I Googled it and could not find this anywhere, but you wrote a poem, poems about the about that Stanley Cup winner and then actually re, sort of redid it a couple years ago at the big party. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny you bring that up. So it's something I had always just been interested in and used to write a little bit here and there, and then I kind of had a tradition during the season a couple times wherever it might be at a team team function or at the end of the year party or the rookie dinner i would uh i'd write a poem and i would you know say it in front of all the guys and it kind of became one of these things and so after we won the cup um yeah i wrote a special poem for that group and actually it was kind of cool they had after i recited it um they asked for a copy of it and then they ended up uh uh, putting it for a while there in the Hall of Fame as part of our thing, uh, you know, a team celebrating that team, and then uh, they ended up making a plaque with the poem on it um, and a big team picture, which I thought was kind of yeah. it's still down in my basement. So. It's really cool. And every time I go to the RBC Arena, there's you in the uh, press box there. Uh, uh, with, I mean, again, I, it's just amazing to me what you played with that series, and I think it just shows everything. I appreciate that. that. Yeah, everything Thank that you. takes to win a Stanley Cup. Um, so, Kevin, let's talk about the Sabres here. I mean, huge win. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're recording this before your game here at Mullet Arena against Arizona. This is going to probably run on Wednesday, so obviously things can happen up until then. But huge win last night or two nights ago in uh, Colorado. And it seems like you've started to come back on the other side after a really good start. You had a little bit of a dip. And then obviously playing much better lately. Yeah, I like the way we've played uh, in this last, you know, one of 10, 12 games. Um, I like the way we've practiced, too, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. We've been really sharp. We've been we've been um, carrying over the details and practice into our games. We're learning. You know, we're one of these teams that uh, you obviously know how young we are. We're talented. We, we play fast, but we're learning a lot of lessons. We're learning how to go into Colorado and, you know, we're up three goals and then they make a push and we're learning how to manage those games where I felt like there was a stretch during the year this year when when we weren't winning, we were finding, we would play well in pockets, but then we were finding ways to lose, mm-hmm. meaning like turning over a puck at the wrong time or taking a bad penalty. So that's just part of the maturation process of it. 
I like where we are. We got a long way to go. Um, we're not where we need to be yet, but we're definitely trending in the right direction. A lot of it, uh, you know, I, I talk to GMs all the time, and and the word culture is thrown out a lot. But when I when I was walking around your visiting room today, everybody was talking about what a great group you got, uh, guys. Yeah, I mean, Tyson Jost went on and on about the type of group that you have in there. Um, you know, Okposo said the same thing. Tage Thompson. How how much is that something that you prioritize? Critical. I mean, it, it was it's very uh, it was very intentional um, a couple years ago um, when it became very clear to me that you know we were going to have to kind of reset this mm -hmm. and get it going a, you know in a different direction. And for me, you know, I've said this many times publicly. We have to have players that want to be a Buffalo Saber that get up every day and just truly love this organization and want to be part of the solution and respect the jersey and i feel mm -hmm. like when we started to put the pieces in place and draft the players that culture now is is happening and these guys love each other they care about each other but they also love the organization and that's why you see guys like tage thompson and matthias samuelson last summer make that long-term commitment yeah. to us you know we certainly people talk about us making the commitment to them well they made a commitment to us too and that is something that um, for us to start to turn the corner here is really yep. important. I watched a game about um, maybe three weeks ago. You guys were up in Montreal, and Tage Thompson looked like he scored, could have scored five goals that game. Coincidentally, about a week and a half later, he does score five goals in a game. But he is um, just an absolute monster on ice. I, I, to be that big and skate that well and have a shot that incredible, I mean, he looks like he is going to be something special. Yeah, you know, Tage, I'm really happy for Tage in terms of where he is at right now. And, you know, I, I mean, you, a lot of people now in the hockey world understand what he's gone through, yeah. the journey he's been on. Um, I remember sitting with him a couple of years ago and he was out of the lineup or, you know, he was uh, he was on the taxi squad during COVID and just saying, this is part of your process. You got to mm -hmm. just compete, put the work in, be patient. Um, but you could see the talent. So for me, it was just let's. How do we make sure that we're not losing him? That we're that we're showing him love, and then when he gets the opportunity, um, I know the work ethic and the character he has. So I'm not surprised what he's doing. Um, he's one of these guys. You know, we talked about in the summer when we signed him to long contract. We really feel he has he's going to get better. Yeah, like he's got more more levels to go, which is exciting for us. And, and especially Kevin, like uh, you know, you signed that big deal as a young player. Not these super young, but you sign that deal, and there now there's pressure. Yep. And we saw it with Jason Robertson. He gets the almost nine million dollars a year, and what does he do? He comes out, and he's already got 23 goals. Here, Tage could have cowered, could have crumbled, and he comes out here and just uh, you know just looks like he that one he made the right decision, but definitely you made the right well, decision. I appreciate that, and I'll say about Tage, you know he he appreciates every day in this league, and he mm -hmm. works. Yeah, he works. I mean, he just competes. He's got a great family, you know, he gets, he has great people around him, his wife, and he's got a baby now, and he's got, obviously, his dad's in the hockey world, and yep. his brother, and I just think he's one of these guys that is very grounded, um, he's very level-headed, and he doesn't take a day for granted in this league, and when you have that talent and that work ethic, um, you know, special things can say. Yeah, were you on those Florida teams when Brent was part of those Florida? No, okay, no, yeah, I we, covered I him a little bit. Yeah. His dad, yeah, um, but never with him. I mean, totally different player. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tage has a little mean streak in him, to be honest with you. But I think his dad probably realized, like, okay, I'm gonna try to get yeah. my boys to be a uh, little different players, yeah. which is what all of us hope. We all want our boys to, you know, that play hockey to be better than yeah. we were. So. Um, 
You know, you, you talk long-term contracts. Uh, it seems like right away out of now entry-level deals, people are getting big-time contracts. We're, like, how do you now assess guys like Dylan Cousins and players like that that are, you know, Dylan's having a great year? Yeah, well, what we've talked a lot about over the last couple of years is what we had to first start to do was identify our core. Who, who were those young players? We knew we had talent, but who were they going to be? How are we going to move forward and identify that? And what, so certainly that, you know, we talked about a couple of them already, but uh, you know, Rasmus Stalin, obviously, yep. as a guy that's a huge part of our future um, and take care of that. Obviously, Dylan Cousins, another one that um, just a really glue type guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just a competitive leader in our locker room and he's extremely talented. So, um, yeah, we'll work on getting those guys done. But it goes back to what I said earlier. When we identify the players that um, appreciate the organization, want to be part of it, um, you know, we want to figure out how to get that done with them. That whole line, Paterka and, and Quinn on there with Cousins as well, I mean, they're starting to perform for you. Well, they're very, they're, they complement each other really well. You know, Quinn and Paterka played together last year in the American Hockey uh-huh. League a lot, so they have a good feel for each other, and they had great success at a really young age in that league, which is tough to do. Um, and they've meshed well with Dylan. Um, I just think the way they all feel the game, see the ice, use their speed, and they're they're really good off the rush. They're talent. They're talented guys who make plays. So, and they have fun. You know, they you could see see it in practice. They're smiling. They love to be at the rink, um, and they feed off each other. And I think they're. Someone told me recently they're the youngest line in the NHL, yeah. and uh, you know, which is which is great because you're seeing them take steps. No doubt. Um, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, about like uh, you know one thing I will say Sabres fans wanted me to ask you is uh, Rochester and who would you see is next in line to maybe get to Buffalo? Well, I, you know like there's a there's a group of uh, young players down there that are I don't even know if some of our fans realize how young they are. Right, you know, like Coolidge is there. He's only 18. Right, you know he's just drafted this past year. He's having a great year and he looks a lot like he looks a lot like where JJ Paterka was last year at this time. Uh-huh. The way he's starting to understand the game and adjust to the pro game over here in North America. His details and practice have been better and better. Um, so he's certainly a guy we're excited about. But Brandon Byro's taking a big step this year. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that's knocking on the door to the NHL. Um, and then we got guys like uh, Kisikoff and Kozak that are real young talent. Cedarquist has been done a nice job. Weissbox, another one that's done a nice job. Mm-hmm. So Rusek, Lucas Rusek, see, I could go on. There's a group of guys that we feel are um, really close to taking the next step. Um, but I really appreciate the job that Seth Appert and uh, the coach Michael Pekka and Mike Weber have done yeah. down there. They've done a really nice job. Coach Michael Pekka, I love that. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, let me let me ask you about Savoy. I mean, he's a prospect that a lot of Saber fans are excited about. Um, what for some reason wasn't invited to uh, Team Canada's development camp or uh, evaluation camp for the World Juniors. Um, Wild, uh, the team that I cover, have also on Winnipeg ice uh, Carson Lambos, who was cut from the team. Um, but he's having a good year. He's in a great situation for a team that could win the Memorial Cup. Where do you see his evaluation level, and how surprised were you about Team well, Canada? Yeah, I mean, I was surprised. Uh, he's had a real good season. I mean, he he plays with a high motor. He he competes. He's he's got uh, he loves the game. He's electric when he's on the ice. And I so yeah, I was certainly a little surprised. But to be honest with you, um, I actually think he's the type of kid that this will uh, help because he will be motivated yep. even more. Um, he He's a type of player that just, uh, he wants to show that he's great every day. And when you take a little bit of that, like, okay, 
you take it the right way. They didn't believe I should be on the team. Then, you know, how do you use that as a, in a positive way? So and we're really excited about him. He plays for James Patrick, who I know really well. Um, when I was coaching here with the Sabres, James and I were assistants together. So that was part of the pre-draft, you know, due diligence that we were doing. And we think we got a real good player there. Yeah, and Sabres fans should probably know that Alex Tuck uh, was once cut from the uh, American team for for U.S. And I think he's a pretty good player as well. Yeah. So that's just the way it works. There's so many incredible players in National Hockey League that didn't play for the World especially, Junior Especially team. at 18, you know, yeah. he's still got next year. But, you know, it's, it's just not an – it's a great tournament, and I always want our guys to play. I was fortunate enough to play in it. It's a great experience. But, hey, it's a journey, too. You know, everybody's at different places in their in their journey, the development journey. A couple more for you, Kevin. Um, as a GM now, like, when do you know when's the time maybe to make an external move to maybe speed up the rebuild, or do you have to continue to be – Patient. Yeah, well, I think it's a great question. Like, honestly, like what I think about a lot is um, we have to be in every conversation and around, you know, the league to understand where things are at, to be open to doing whatever we can to help our team. Mm -hmm. In saying that, we can't fast forward the process we're in. You know, you can't try to jump, skip steps and jump things. We have to stay to our true to our process and make sure that we allow guys to develop the right way. And the example I'll give you would be in the summer, you know, we could have identified a guy or two, a winger say that would maybe have be, you know, eight, 10 years in the league. Maybe we're a little bit ahead of where Quinn and Paterka would have been at training camp. But I just, you know, Donnie and I talk about this every day. If we block those guys from the minutes that now they're getting, you're, you're almost stifling. So you have to find that sweet spot of making sure you provide opportunity to the guys that earn it, but also be, open to when there's the right move to make, you're going to make it. And Tyson Jost on waivers is a perfect example. Yeah, He was there. We felt like, you know what? Here's a talented kid that um, still young in mm-hmm. a good spot. We think there's upside, high character. Let's let's take a shot at it. Yeah, and it's been a great waiver pickup for you. And uh, it just shows, I was talking to him this morning, it just shows what happens when you actually play. I mean, yeah, you know, helps, unfortunately, sure. he fell out of favorites a little bit in Minnesota, but you, he just needed that opportunity to get back into a role. And, and he's obviously embraced it, even fought, for you on his first shift. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, just uh, two more for you. One, one is, um, you know, uh, I, I get questions from kids all the time on how to get into hockey ops. How, like, you know, like, whether you're play or not play, like, if you're somebody that's an analytics expert, like, what, how do you advise young people that really just want to work for a team to sort of get their foot in the door? Well, I'd say a couple things. First of all, Play, young young uh, boys or girls shouldn't feel that the only way to get into hockey is if you played at a high level. Like there's a lot of different jobs, and you know, for me, I like to identify people that are talented. You know, they can do a lot of different things, and they're willing to learn and they're willing to do whatever they can to be part of a team. So I would say, you know, for people that are looking, you know, what do I need? You know, can do. You know what? Be open to anything. Send your, you know, send the phone or the texts and the emails and, you know, make sure people know who you are. But then even if you get your foot in the door in any way, maybe it's not what you think exactly you want to do. Do it. Right. Learn. And the big thing for me is I really believe no matter what you're doing, if you're kind of, uh, I I call it be where your feet are, you know, like you're all in and you're present, you're going to learn and then other doors will open if you're doing the right job. So don't, don't be focused on the finish line, you know, go kind of what I was saying earlier. You got to go through the steps and the process to get there um, and be open and be willing to do that. When you were first elevated to this role, how, how long did it take you to sort of get comfortable in your skin, maybe not be intimidated? Like what, what's the difference between Kevin Adams and year three compared to maybe one? Yeah, you know what? It's interesting. I, I think for me, um, 
from day one, I've I try to make sure I'm asking a lot of questions around the people around me, former GMs, current GMs, other people in the hockey world, just pick their brain and learn. So I don't think that'll ever change. If I do this job for 30 years, I'm going to try to learn every day. Um, so I don't know if I'm different, but what I will say is I don't feel at this point um, where I'm at pressure that I have to justify anything or have to do this. Yeah, yeah I've learned a lot, gone through some tough <laughs> times and you know some of the different trades and different mm -hmm. intense negotiations it's all learning for me um, but I'm going to continue to be myself the one thing I did promise myself was no matter what from day one of this job I have to be me I yeah. can't try to be someone else I can't try to oh this is how you're supposed to do it because yeah. this is you know what I just have to be myself, and um, that's the best I can do. Yeah, well, I've covered this league a long time, and uh, the one thing, uh, you know, Sabres fans, you have such a great fan base there, and they just got to be patient because, I mean, we're going to see such – it's such a cycle, right? We're going to – I mean, this team that we're going to watch tonight, Arizona, has got a ton of young kids that are going to be coming on the horizon, oh, yeah. and they're going to be a really good team and a handful for teams. So all the California teams that may be on the downturn now – on their way up, and I think the Sabres are the same way. Well, I appreciate that. You know, we do have a great fan base, and I think that's one thing for me. Like, the Sabres, it's in my DNA. You yeah. know, I grew up at the old auditorium and watching Gilbert Perot and sitting up in the oranges with my dad. You yeah. know, it's special to me, and I, I'm i so thankful for the opportunity, and it's for me, it's just, it's personal. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot more than a job. Yeah. It's personal, and I'm very fortunate. Well, Kevin, uh, you know, I really appreciate you doing this, especially on a game night, um, and uh, you really, I mean, honestly, I tell people all the time, you're one of my favorite players to ever cover in Florida. Uh, means oh, just the way you are now, you're always so welcoming, and you know, it's a lot of times players can be a little scared of the media or hate the media, but you never at least showed that to us. And, no, uh, I appreciate you yeah. saying that. You know what? It's it's uh, We're all lucky what we get to do every day. Yeah. Treat people the right way. Do your best. That's all you can do. So big thanks to Tage Thompson and Kevin Adams uh, for putting up with Russo. We have to do it each and every week, and they only had to do it for about uh, 10 minutes and 20 minutes. So thanks for doing that, guys. After the break, rapid fire. So don't go anywhere. Okay, boys, my favorite time of the show and yours, rapid fire. We're going to start with, oh, shocking turn of events. We're going to have a player honored when he returns to a place where he played. P.K. Subban going to be honored by the Habs in January. Um, <laughs> you know how I feel about all these video tributes and everything else. Uh, what do you guys think of the Subban news, Jesse? I love retur player return videos. I think they should do it for everyone who's ever. No, I really, I, I really don't care. I, 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 I really like the Victor way. Rask one in Minnesota last year. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> yeah. It's. I mean, I don't. the The Subban thing is kind of weird, just because I felt like, like you don't trade a top player like that in the prime of their career. Maybe even before the prime of their career, like like right when they're at their peak that often. So it was it was weird, but. Um, I guess, I mean, Jack Eichel got one when he went back to Buffalo, and he was even younger when he got traded, and there was obviously a lot more controversy there. So, um, sure, yeah, give Subban one, even though he's not playing anymore. I don't know. It's, it's, it, it is all just a very weird situation. I don't have strong feelings on it the way you do, Rob. I don't have strong feelings. I'm just tired of it enough. <laughs> like, I don't know if P.K. Subban necessarily deserves this, but okay, Russo, your thoughts? Uh, Cam Talbot came back to Minnesota the other day. They just acknowledged him on the video board. You would have loved it, Rob. And that's it. They called that's all you and need. and they welcomed back Cam Tablot on the uh, video board. So 
Not no only way. didn't they give him a video tribute, they disrespected him by misspelling his name. So that would have been <laughs> your absolute dream tribute right there. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, rapid fire number two, the Hamburglar. Andrew Hammond retired. Uh, if you remember back in the 2014-15 season, went on that ridiculous 21-2 run after getting called up from uh, the AHL and all the burgers being thrown on the ice. But uh, an injury just ended up you know, uh, making the decision for him. Jesse, we'll start with you because all you want to do is talk about goals. Yeah, yes. Sucks to see, but like, he's one of those guys that was probably never actually good enough to be like, like he he reached the, I feel like he reached his potential. Um, The guy got one shot and took as most, like as big advantage of it as he possibly could. Um, Got his 15 minutes of fame. Good for him. Um, Ended up kind of falling back into not being the, the the great goalie that he looked like he was there for a while. But I think that's kind of closer to what he was. It was cool for a guy like that to like there are so many goalies that are career AHLers that get waved a million times. I know Mike McKenna really well. He, he was out here in Vegas working for the team. And like he's a guy who bounced around from 50 different teams. And like you can make a good living doing that, but it's not the most glorious. So it's cool. Like I feel like Hammond's one of those guys, maybe a little step above, but he he got his 15 minutes of fame and, and, and that was cool. He took advantage of the of the one shot he got. Yeah, I, I covered him uh, in Florida for two or three, uh, excuse me, in Minnesota for two or three years. Uh, never actually played a game with Minnesota, uh, but they they signed him as their third goalie, and he was outstanding in Iowa during their one of their playoff runs. Actually, uh, Capo Kakinen hit the wall, and he took over and was just tremendous in the playoffs. Um, and then he thought his career was over, and then come uh, all of a sudden in December, Alex uh, Stalock has myocarditis uh, uh, from having COVID, and they call him out of the blue, essentially get him right out of the scrap heat, and they sign him to play on their taxi squad the rest of that year, uh, the year of the uh, shortened season um, in the in the NHL. And then he wound up playing a couple years after that, both in the National Hockey League and then out out in uh, in the KHL as well. So, uh, congratulations to a good guy on a good career. As you mentioned, he definitely made the most of it. Couple signings to pass your way. We'll start in Edmonton. Stuart Skinner signs a three-year extension with the Oilers AAV of two point six million bucks. I love seeing guys play with a city where they were born and developed as a hockey player and get to do it in front of the hometown crowd. Russo, we'll start with you. Yeah, and he's you know okay. I think he's got the ability to be a really really good goalie. Um, and they didn't give him what was it, the Koskin was the Koskin a couple years ago where all of a sudden they they have Mike Smith there and then throw like four and a half million bucks. This is I think a really good price. Um, you know you have uh, hopefully Jack Campbell gets his act together. He's and uh, plays a lot more consistency consist- consistently over the next little time. But I like the signing by Edmonton. I agree that the money amount is a lot more palatable, but. Like, how many times is this team going to do yeah. this? Where, where the goal, like the goalie, had, we just talked about the Hamburglar. The, 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 if the Hamburglar would have played for the Edmonton Oilers, they would have signed him to a 10 year, $10 million contract. Like, how many times are they going to have to do this where, like, these goalies don't have to prove much to get a contract in Edmonton? I like Skinner. <laughs> I do. I'm, this is not me saying he's going to turn into a pumpkin. I like Skinner. And this this uh, money amount, like Russo said, this isn't giving Koskinen an insane amount of money. But at the same time, it does feel like here we go again. Like the, the goalie has a good two months, and they're like goalie of the future, sign him. Um, so I he's outplayed Campbell to this point. You obviously hope, like Russo said, that Campbell can eventually get his game back and and be the guy, or at least be one B. And it's not the the Skinner show, but. Yeah, it's it's. I I don't think this contract's terrible, but I also think it's a troubling 
um, it goes along with the pattern that they've shown in the past. Yeah, and uh, you know, to your point, um, in, you know, the one area that, to me that they, you know, I think we always talk about blue line there as areas that they got to fix. Um, but you know, one area they got to invest some money in is their bottom six. I mean, their bottom six doesn't scare anyone. Um, their top six does, does, and especially when they get a Vander Kane back. But they're, they, they've got you know some issues on that bottom six. Like I, I've watched the Wild play them a lot lately. They played them three times in ten days. And the Wilds' bottom six just ate them for breakfast. So I, I think they're, you know, that's the one area is that they're trying to invest a lot of money in that one position, and they should probably spread the wealth around a little bit. The other signing coming out of Ottawa is the Sens agreed to a four-year deal, $18.4 million with defenseman Artem Zou. Uh Any thoughts on this one, guys? Rousseau? Well, I, you know, the one thing, like, I, I look at that uh, that team with Ottawa, and they've got a lot of really quality pieces that are going to be parts of the future. Um, but they've got to figure out a, what happened this year. Like, this should be a much, much better team. And I think a lot of times with rebuilds, you know, there are always those points where you sit there and you feel like you're on a, on a raft in the middle of the ocean and there's no wind and did all of a sudden we mess up. And that's the one thing. If Ottawa feels that this is the right path, they've got to continue to stay the course and not panic. And clearly they're doing that with a contract like this for Zub and some of the other guys that they brought in this summer. But it's been a disappointing uh, year for them. Um, and, but clearly they think that this is still a, a, um, you know, a team that is on the rise and is going to be good in the future. But they got to figure out what happened this year. And I do think that they can't panic to what um, you know a lot of us look at as a disappointment. If they feel like this is the right course to continue on, and they've got to do it and not change the process uh, last second because they've had a bad year. Yeah, they. I mean, they've been super disappointing this year compared to what. Like, I, I thought they'd challenge for a playoff spot. Zub. I mean, he's he's like your classic like stay at home guy. I think he's got like two goals this season. He's actually injured right now. Um, I don't know how long he's been out, but he's it's it's kind of strange to see a guy get a contract extension while he's hurt. But uh, yeah, I mean, he. I think he's a solid guy on the back end. I think the I think the Senators have plenty of. Like Eric Brandstrom and 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 guys that can can push the pace, can jump into the play, can activate in the offensive zone, and and I think it's good to have cheap options for stay at home guys that you can pair with those guys to kind of let those those hiring guys do their job. And I think Zub's the the ideal uh, player in that that role for them. So uh, I think it's a good signing. Last one, guys, and I just threw this in because you know I have a friend of mine, Jesse, who I work with at CBC, and he he sends me a message yesterday. Can you believe Connor McDavid's numbers? And I remember thinking, yeah, Jesse, I follow hockey. I know he's really good, but he broke it down, and he is on pace right now for 159 points. I know people slow down through by the end of the season, but if he ends up keeping up with his pace, which wouldn't be shocking either, no, only two players have ever put up a number like that: Gretzky and Lemieux. He hit his 60-point plateau last week in his 31st game, which is the quickest since Mario Lemieux did it in 95-96 in just 21 games. And McDavid and Leon both on pace for 130 points. The last teammates to do that, Mario and Yager. I mean, we, we joked about taking for granted and the bar's too high with Crosby. The very fact that this guy's going to flirt with 160 points, how are we not talking about this every yeah. single day of our lives? It's crazy. And it is, you know, isn't it funny? Like we, you know, I think we've talked about it a little on this show too. It's like we are starting to take Connor uh, for granted. It's like when Jason Robertson was absolutely on fire, there were already people like, well, he's the MVP of the league. Now, uh, granted, a quarter of the way through. Now, Tage Thompson is on fire. Well, if Buffalo makes some noise. Now, Tage, look, 
Connor McDavid is just on a different level than everybody else. And the irony is, is that he's got a sidekick that's just freaking uh, like if he was on any other team, we'd be looking at him as like the best guy. But sometimes we just take it for granted and hold it against Connor because Leon is right there with him. These are two unbelievably special players and they are on different planets, but especially Connor. And um, it is going to be it's just fascinating to watch him work. And I just pray that he stays healthy the rest of the way, because it's just to me, it's a it's a benefit for all of us hockey fans to be able to watch uh, greatness like this. Yeah, I mean, he's brilliant and he's and he's do, like you, Rob, you brought up all the numbers like he's doing. He's the first t- person to do it since X, first person to do it since then. When all those things happen, the league save percentage was in the 800s. Every every one of those years, the league save percentage was in the 800s and. The save percentage has been going down consistently the last few years. We're not quite to the 800s. We're still in the 900s. It's in to to do to put up these numbers when it's as hard to score as it is currently in the NHL um, is is just insane. And he does it on a nightly basis. And it's not. I mean, every night it seems like it's a highlight real goal where he goes through three guys and and roofs it over the goalie from in tight. Like it's he's unbelievable. Yeah, for so long we would almost ignore stats from the 80s slash early 90s because we just go well that was the era you know what i mean like you know even the gretzky numbers everything we'd go well no one's ever going to do that again and yes by saying Connor mcdavid is going to score 200 points in his career no but when you're putting up a possible number that only two guys have ever done in, in a stat like points in a season we we should be thanking our lucky stars we get to watch this this player every single day just incredible um it's it for another show, guys. Uh, Christmas coming up. I don't know if you guys are uh, just taking some time off or you got something you're working on this week. Jesse? Yeah, I've got a few things. Uh, I'm finishing up my uh, Martin Brodeur NHL 99 piece. So as Rob would be, uh, it would expect. It's another goalie piece. I'm pretty excited about that one. It, uh, really, really good stuff for Martin and, and some of his old teammates. And then I'm also doing one on... Uh, just a fun piece on warmups and like I'm, I watch Golden Knights warmups and see what each guy's like thing that they do is each guy's kind of got a That's weird awesome. thing that they do. And then I've been going around the room and asking the guys like, well, who's got like something weirder than you? And they're giving me even stuff that like I wouldn't be able to see from the press box. And so now I'm watching it. So I've almost got like a like a guide to the Golden Knights warmups. This is all the yeah. weird stuff that every player on the ice does. And it's, it's actually been way more entertaining than I expected it to be when I started it. So, uh, yeah, that'll be coming out pretty soon. And uh, it's coincidental that you, you're doing that story because I pitched the same story to my editor yesterday about doing it with the wild stuff because it's just it's crazy the stuff that they do. And I've been talking to players on other teams. You know, you know, you have always that guy in the middle right before line rushes that has to fish out the pucks from the net. And, yep. you know, there was one game recently where one of the players on another team was hurt. And all of a sudden they realized they had picked nobody to go do that. And, you know, there's there's all type of, uh, types of stuff like that, um, you know, that happens during warm-ups. I'm working on some really cool stories. I'm doing one similar to what uh, Jesse was doing, only a, a national story on intermissions and what it's like to be in an NHL locker room during intermissions. And I've gotten some great stuff from basically every single locker room that I've been in. Uh, that will run at some point in January. I also I had an incredible interview last week with Tanya Bossi, the daughter of Mike Bossi, for my NHL 99 story I'm doing on one of my favorite players growing up as a kid. Uh, so looking forward to that. Believe it or not, I, I did a Ryan Reeves story today, which, Jesse, I think you'll get a kick out of. But um, uh, that long-awaited Jake Middleton story, it's running right after the break. I promise uh, everybody there. Um, and Someday. Yeah, so I promise uh, that will be out uh, eventually. And then uh, next Wednesday, the December 28th, the day that we have Bill Armstrong on the show, I'll also be doing a story that cu- is coupled with that on the Arizona Coyotes. 
So that Middleton story coming out early in 2024, I think is what it's actually eventually going to come out. Guys, enjoy the time off. We'll talk to you next week. Want to let everybody else know before uh, we go, there's a lot of other great hockey talk now that you're done listening to us. Chris Terrian joined Craig Custins on the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Go give that a listen. And Luke Hughes is going to be with Haley Salvian and Sean Gentili on the Friday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And if you still don't have everybody off your list as far as buying gifts, go get them an annual uh, subscription to The Athletic for just $2 a month for a year when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Thursday with Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown. We will be back next week. Our guest, Bill Armstrong, the general manager of the Arizona Coyotes. For Jesse, for Russo, I'm Rob. Happy whatever it is you celebrate. We'll see you next week.